Welcome to Square Mile, a show about walking in circles, talking to strangers, and paying attention. I'm Joel Shupak. A lot has happened since I put out the last episode almost four years ago. I moved halfway across the world, I got a job making radio full-time. I left that job and moved back home. All the while, I put this show on hold, thinking one day maybe I'd have time to return to it. Well, this, it turns out, is just that time. I don't honestly know how long I'll do this, but there are at least a couple stories I started working on years ago that I'd really like to finish. So let's start with one of those. A story about the parallel worlds of one small Texas town. This is The Walls of Huntsville. They bring them here to release them, and then they walk that block to the bus station. It bothered me when I first moved to town here. I didn't know what to think about it, but uh, you don't notice it. They may be counted as part of our population, but they don't consider themselves Huntsvilleites, I don't think, no matter how long they've been here. This is downtown Huntsville. It's mid-morning in Huntsville, Texas. Um, You'll see a beautiful mural on the left. A town of 42,000, about an hour north of Houston. My friend Ellen is giving me a tour in her pickup truck, AC blasting. This is Farmhouse. The place has really great pies. Huntsville is like a lot of Texas towns. Here's a cafe. Here's the courthouse. A courthouse square, antique shops, big trucks, cowboy boots, Um, and all sorts of things claiming to be the absolute biggest or the best. Like this massive, gleaming white statue of Sam Houston, the president of Texas before it was a state. I think it's like the biggest sculpture of any real person ever. I also see a sign for the world's fastest oil change, another for the tastiest burger on the planet. If there's one thing that Texas loves, it's, well, Texas. But what sets Huntsville apart is something that a lot of people here don't seem to notice even though it's right in front of them. That's the walls, you can see it from here. In the heart of Huntsville, and I mean right in the middle of town, is a very conspicuous prison. Huntsville Unit, Texas State Penitentiary, established 1848, wow. Officially, it's called the Huntsville Unit, but most people just call it the walls. The name suits. From outside the prison, all you can see are the tall red brick walls that surround it. Huntsville is actually home to seven different prisons. In fact, a quarter of the people living here, almost 15,000, are incarcerated. That means for every three people I see out here, eating the tastiest burger on the planet or driving by in a big truck, there's another person I can't see living behind bars. Most of the prisons are tucked away on the outskirts of town, but the walls couldn't be more visible. It's just a few blocks from City Hall, the shops of downtown, the public library. If this particular building had its own big, boastful Texas sign, it might read, Oldest Prison in Texas, or Busiest Execution Chamber in the Country. It's true. Almost 600 prisoners in the last 40 years. That's nearly 40% of all executions in the U.S. Of course, most prisoners won't be executed. But still, it's like there's two parallel worlds here. In one, Ellen and I walk around freely. In another, on the other side of these walls, a whole population lives out of sight. 
But for about an hour every weekday, a rift opens up between these two worlds. And that's what I'm here to see. So can you tell me where we are right now? At the family, um, uh, what is this called? This is a family waiting area. Family waiting area. We're in the family waiting area. Across from the Walls Prison. Ellen drops me off at the family waiting area. A squat brick building with windows on all sides facing one of the prison gates. She says this is where prisoners from all the surrounding prisons are released back into the world. About 100 every weekday morning. Well, male prisoners anyway. The women are released in another town, hours away. A crowd of who I assume are family and friends of the inmates has already gathered. Some wait inside on wooden benches, quietly scrolling on their phones or looking off through a window. And who are you waiting for? Uh, my brother. I called yesterday, he said he was getting out today, so. Still more gather outside on the grass, like Mary. It's real pretty out here, but these people are taking their time letting them out. Well, they said be here by nine. What time is it now? Ooh, 11. 11. She drove two hours to be here. She wears thick glasses and nervously flicks a cigarette as we talk. Across the street are the brick walls of the prison. Guards look down at the scene from watchtowers. I can see their rifles. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting on my boyfriend to get out. I'm feeling fine, excited, anxious. Nothing about this is familiar to me. I'm not from here, and I've never had a friend or relative in prison. In fact, I'm so nervous I keep forgetting to hit record. Well, you know, I, this is totally embarrassing. I, I screwed up and missed the first half of that. Um, <laughs> so I get a second chance to stumble through my questions. Um, and I'm, I hate to do this, but... Um, and, and how long has he been locked up? Uh, how long has he been in there, Rosie? Fifteen months. Fifteen months. I keep asking how long. Uh, it's been 34 years. But I don't really know how to think about these numbers. It's hard for me to imagine any of it. Too long. <laughs> you have a lot of sad days because you just can't pick up the phone and call them. I, these prisons are something else. I mean, and they're not all bad people. Some of them just made dumb choices. Suddenly, a door in the prison wall opens. There's no announcement or signal, just an open door. Then dozens of men start to come out in single file. Some are laughing. Some squint up at the sun in shock. Others hold a tough guy stare. I guess a third are black, a third white, and a third Latino. They all wear stiff collared shirts and loose pants with no belt. Someone tells me all their clothes are donated. Little by little, men start to peel off the line to find their families. It doesn't feel right to interrupt these private moments, so I stand on the sidelines with a microphone pointing at reunions from a distance. Some seem tentative, some are tearful, others full of laughter. I watch as Mary puts an arm around her boyfriend, and they walk together to her car. But as the families start to drive off, I see there are still a couple dozen men left. And for folks that don't have a family here, wh where do they go? They, t so they, t they tell them to go down to the bus station. The Greyhound station is one block from the prison. Though, 
to call it a station is a bit generous. There's a row of benches along the street and a tiny room to buy tickets. And for about an hour every weekday, a cluster of men trying to make sense of it all. Okay, my name is Marcus Powell. I'm a, a barber from Houston, Texas. Um, I'm just getting out of prison on this beautiful day talking to Mr. Joel. We're in the square mile of downtown Huntsville. The first guy I meet is Marcus. Soft-spoken and thoughtful, his black shirt buttoned all the way to the top. I was in prison for two years and four months, 28 months to be exact. What got me here was um, my past lifestyle, dealing drugs. A lot of these guys are here because of drugs. Well, yeah, sure. That's the only reason I'm here. Just minimal amount of, you know, personal usage. This guy is actually from Oregon, like me. Thick white beard, chain smoking. He didn't give a name, but he looks a bit like Billy Bob Thornton in Bad Santa. So let's just call him Billy. How long were you in prison? I was uh, 20 months. I did a year and a half in the 90s for the same thing, for drugs. Has, has this experience changed you at all, like in terms of your thoughts around drugs? No, not really. I mean, just not. it's changed my opinion on Texas a lot. There was guys that killed people in vehicles that were, got less time than, than guys with drugs. I, I find that, frankly, appalling. While they wait for their buses, I notice that everyone is carrying the same red bag filled with their belongings. Yeah, it's just a mesh laundry bag is what it is. They were issued by the prison. I can see everything that's inside. Legal documents, shampoo, portable fans. My crossword books and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Billy tells me that in addition to the mesh bag and a voucher for a bus ticket, they were all given a bit of money, too. You walk out with $50, and then when you go see your parole officer, you get another 50 It seems these release checks have created their own small economy. A store next door sells cheap T-shirts, jeans, and ball caps. A food truck shows up on queue, starts frying up burgers. There's even this burly white guy who works the crowd with a bunch of cell phones and a small glass spray bottle. He lets the men call home for a fee, though he calls it a donation. The bottle, I realize, is cologne. Two sprays for 50 cents, four for a dollar. These guys with the truck and these guys with the, uh, um, with all the selling the clothes in there and all that, you know, they're pretty much just trying to separate everybody from their money right quick, which is no different than any other business, sure. but. What time does the bus come? Uh, as soon as they get done getting everybody's money, yeah. <clears throat> But that's a fact. I mean, if you ask a lot of these guys, they'll, they'll tell you the same thing. My name is Richard. And what was your question? Richard is tall and very thin, even gaunt. He's 61, but seems much older after spending a third of his life behind bars. 17 years for a burglar of a building. I had a different mindset back then. I really didn't think I'd be living this long. I thought probably I'd be dead by now. So most people know how to do what they're supposed to do. So we didn't do what we're supposed to do, and we got to pay the consequences. I imagine this is the way the prison system wants him to feel about his time behind bars. I don't see no room for anger because I couldn't be angry at nobody but myself. And uh, I can't hate myself. been locked up 22 years so you know it's a shock because 22 years the world sure has changed a lot 
I'd never even touched a cell phone. And then there's Jim, who spent half his life in prison. I've looked at my views and the crime I did that brought me here. I'm remorseful for what I did. Do you want to talk about what you did that got you here? It don't bother me because I've, I've learned my lesson. You know, coming down as a sex offender, you know, has actually made me grow, you know, and learn from my right and wrongs. While the men pick through clothing racks and order sandwiches, I ask how it feels to be out, to be able to look back and see the prison behind them. For Richard, my question misses the point. I mean, it obviously feel great, but I guess I can hoop and holler and shout. But uh, I don't want to exaggerate my expectations. He would rather focus on the realities of his future than be swept up in emotion. Others try to humor me. You know, to be out in the fresh air and be able to maneuver how I want to and make my own decisions, you know, it's it's like a, a feeling that you just really can't explain if you've never been in that situation. But it's beautiful, man. It's a beautiful feeling. You can actually hear the birds and not look around and see bars and walls and fences. For many of them, these are not unfamiliar feelings. I've been in prison a couple of times, but man, this time really took a toll on me because my son is 26 and he just got out of prison. And I feel like if I hadn't have been to prison in the early years in his life, he would have made better decisions. Now he has a son that's just turned eight. He'll be eight this year and I don't want to keep on giving them the same the same thing to look at, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like if I start in me and I do something different, maybe it'll be, a, you know what I'm saying, a domino effect, and he'll do things different, his son do things different, and everybody around me will do things differently, you know, so. After about an hour, the buses finally pull up. One to Houston, and another for Dallas. It feels like the mood shifts. It's like all of a sudden, the question of what next is very real for everyone. I can say I'm gonna do this and do that, but I'm, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't, I don't got no plans. I don't know. Just take it day by day, huh? I wanna uh, be realistic about my goals and make sure that my intelligence match my hope and my skills match my dreams. And what, what are those hopes and dreams? Well, my, my hope is just to uh, deter the youngsters not to come this direction. That's about all you can do at this point. You know, last night I couldn't even hardly sleep a wink. Being restless all night. How I'm going to adjust, what it's going to be like. Hope I'll be a successful person. What would that look like? Hopefully finding a job and be able to be a productive citizen. I can show the public, you know, I'm not a threat. Not all prisons are bad people. There's some that are bad, but there's some that want to change their lives and get out. Some that just done way too much time. Like myself. The men show their tickets and load in. And just like that, everyone is gone. The food truck drives off, and the rift between the worlds has closed. All that feeling, the hope and regrets, the shock after years of waiting, is gone. It all fades away with the sound of the diesel engines. Until it's just me, standing at a sleepy bus stop. I wonder what the people in town think of the prison here, and of the ritual of the men being released, and the little window of time most days where they walk the streets of Huntsville. I don't have to go far 
to start finding out. Dig in, dig in, let's go. Right behind the bus station is a boxing gym. Let's go, he's city boxing. Just feet away from where the buses had just been parked, young men, some just teenagers, are sparring on the asphalt outside. Overseeing it all is a guy named Mike, who everyone calls Hammer. A big black man with tight dreadlocks and one hazy eye, his feet in flip-flops. I ask what he thinks of Huntsville. I tell anybody, you know what I'm saying, this country atmosphere, the air down here is cleaner, fresher. I grew up here. I used to be a street fighter. You know, I, I was a bad mamma jamma, but now I'm teaching, so I, I'm kind of living it through them. Let's go. You punch, but you need to punch right. That's the most important point. You think it's weird that there's a prison right in the middle of town? Well, the people that live here, I can tell you that we don't pay no attention to it. I'm serious. We don't pay no attention to it. it we drive by it like it's just another building. That's what you got to do is trust. You got to trust in what you know. People don't understand boxing is, is a thinking game. Your mindset tells everything. You know, you got a mindset of a winner, you're going to be a winner. I keep walking, away from the prison. A block later, I'm at the shops of downtown, where I find some contractors leaning against a work truck. Uh, my name's Carlton Bose. We're at 1224 University Avenue. I'm Weldon Wallace. I live here forever, since 1981. Is that when you were born? Yes. Carhartt overalls, tools hanging from their belts. I ask what I think is an obvious leading question. Yeah. What are, what are some uh, characteristics of this town that you think are unique? Well, it's just, you got the small hometown feel. Uh, it's just a nice place to be. It's very, you know, quiet. and That's what I, exactly what I was yeah, going to say. It's peaceful, nice. I guess I have to be more specific. What do you think about the, the fact that there's a big prison in the middle of town? Does that affect you at all? No. 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 I mean, never, after, after 30 minutes here, you don't notice. Yeah, it. I've never thought twice. I've been around it my whole life. It's good for our, our town. It creates a stable economy. We're cut off by what sounds like a foghorn. That's the count, all present and accounted for at the prison. Oh, so that's a normal thing? Yeah. That means all the prisoners are accounted for. for. Yeah. All present and accounted for at the prison. I'll hear that sound every few hours for the rest of the day. And Weldon is right. After a while, I stop noticing it too. A short walk from downtown, I meet up with my friend Ellen again. She was the one giving me a tour in her truck. There's a woman she wants me to talk to. Lyndall F. Leathers. Her grandmother. A tiny white-haired woman with big watchful eyes and apparently a terrible singing voice. When I was second grade, my aunt dismissed me from the choir and I don't remember anybody else had to leave the choir but me. (laughs) Now she's 93. She's lived in this part of Texas her whole life. Her introduction to the Walls Prison came in the form of a class field trip. Field trip, right. I guess about maybe every year in high school, they'd bring us to the Walls. Inside those walls, they have the factories that made the shoes that the prisoners wore, 
made the uniforms, the, uh, you know, the clothes they wore, and they make license plates. In fact, all the license plates in Texas are made by prisoners in Huntsville. And then there's the prison farms, where inmates butcher hogs or harvest vegetables in the summer heat. Like turnip greens and corn and things they can eat. You don't need a school trip to see those prison fields. They're visible from the road, driving out of town. I really don't know what people were in prison for in 1940. I know now it's mostly drugs, which is kind of ridiculous, and there is kind of a move to to stop putting somebody in because somebody found a, a marijuana cigarette in their car or something. A lot has changed around here since 1940, but not the use of prison labor. In Texas, most prisoners are forced to work as part of their sentence. But unlike almost every other state, none of them are paid anything. I ask Lyndall what it's like for her, knowing all this and living within earshot of the walls. The only time we think about it, and this doesn't happen much anymore, is when there is an escape. It's, it's really rare. She tells me once a man escaped from a prison farm by disguising his telltale outfit. I can hardly believe this, but I know it happened. See, their, their clothes are snow white. Many years ago, a fella got felt-tip markers. I don't know where he got his hands on enough, but he wrote on that white suit till it wasn't white. It must have been sort of speckly, but uh, anyway, it didn't look white, and he just walked off. I continue walking off myself, never far from the watchtowers of the walls. I pass a university, cell phone stores, donut shops, a park with geese and chickens roaming free, a troop of Mexican folk dancers, the women in colorful flowing dresses, the men in formal button-down shirts and polished shoes. Further on, past Mr. Hamburger and the highway that runs through town, I find the Oakwood Cemetery. I walk its shady paths, reading headstones. Some are 150 years old, cracked or half sunken into the ground, the words rubbed of any meaning. In one corner are a few rows of simple concrete crosses, no other markings. A plaque explains. Almost 20 years ago, Dozens of sunken, unmarked graves were discovered here. It's believed that at least some of them hold the bodies of African slaves from the earliest days of Huntsville. The plaque seems to pat itself on the back for honoring these poor souls now that we've moved on past the horrors of slavery. But it also mentions, without irony, that these graves were found by a prison work crew which is to say that the bodies of these slaves were discovered by men also forced to work without pay, 140 years after the supposed end of slavery. As I sit with the weight of these ghosts, buried but always with us, I notice a man in a blue uniform walking towards me, 
Apparently, I'm not the first one he's seen out here looking for ghosts. You see all, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Ghost detecting equipment. And I don't know if that was something you're doing or... No, what, so it's a... Uh, yeah, this is a microphone. I, um... You're not, yeah. you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. I was just okay. curious. I saw the microphone. I was like, I got, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> yeah. I got to see who the story is. Sure, that's the story. I mean, you're, right. you know, you're becoming part of the story, actually. <laughs> yeah. Good deal. In a prison town, I guess it's only a matter of time before I talk to a cop. I'm Officer Zach Dewar. I'm with the Huntsville Police Department. I, I work in the schools mainly now. What's What's the last thing you busted someone for? The last thing I busted somebody for was probably possession of marijuana. What uh, What kind of trouble did you get into when you were a kid? Probably about the same types of troubles that I, I deal with these kids with. With the sun starting to go down, I walk back towards the walls. Across the street from the prison, I find an abandoned warehouse that's been fully taken over by bats. At dusk, they stream out into the night. I look up at the red brick walls of the Huntsville unit, knowing that inside there are men who will never get out, and others who will be free in the morning. Just uh, introducing yourself and tell me where we're at. First of all, my name is Melvin Rizzo Jr. I was raised in San Antonio, Texas. I'm 25 years old. My name is uh, Michael Gentry. I'm just now getting out of um, prison. It's the next morning, and I'm back at the bus station. Back to the daily ritual, the churning out of punished men. I'm struck by a feeling of deja vu. It's all the same. The man selling sprays of cologne, the red bags of belongings, the donated shirts, the dazed, hopeful looks on their faces. My emotions just feel like I'm, in, I'm dreaming right now. I don't feel like it's real right now. It's just, I really can't even explain it right now. feel pretty good. A little bit at a time, it starts sinking in. I don't plan to be arrested again. I know I ain't coming back here. It's, it's pretty bad in here. But really, it's not the same. These are entirely different lives now intersecting with mine. I lost a mother when I was in, in prison. So I won't, I won't have that to go come back to. I ain't nothing, nothing like your mother. If you really, really want to feel old, wait till your son tells you you're a great, great grandfather. You're a great, great grandfather? I'm a great, great grandfather, yeah. I think that's. I think giving up freedom is one of the worst things that can happen to you. And I don't think you can appreciate it until you lose your freedom. I think that's your bus. Oh, I hope so. Is that our bus? That's not bus. That's our bus. School. Let's go. Thank you. Uh, get a hand. I can get it. Okay. I just got to get started. Right. The bus loads. The street clears, and boxing practice begins. The rift between the worlds is closed again until tomorrow. On one side of the walls, the prisoners are all present and accounted for. And for those on the outside of the walls, the ones who choose to call this place home. For them, it's just another day in Huntsville, a nice little town with a country atmosphere, the best burger in Texas, and a strong economy, where the prison foghorn might as well be a passing train. 
But then, there are a lot of things we all live shoulder to shoulder with that we just rather not see. Square Mile is written and produced by me, Joel Shupak. This episode was edited by Mira Bertwintonic. The theme song was composed by myself. Additional music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Yoshi Fields and Skylar Inman. Thanks also to the Southwester Lodge in Seaview, Washington. I spent some time there working on this story as part of their artist residency program. And finally, an enormous thanks to my friend Ellen Leathers Wishart, who hosted me in Huntsville many times. She also happens to be an amazing tintype portrait photographer. I'll have a link to her work on my website. All the interviews you heard in this story were recorded back in 2018. I'm sad to say that Lyndall Leathers, the woman who remembered visiting the walls on a class field trip, passed away last fall at the age of 95. If you like this show, please send it to a friend. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. You know the drill. You can find more episodes or drop me a line at squaremilepodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time.